So in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3, listen to these words. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now there is, in this passage, something that we see And something we find when we talk about God. And it is an incredible, beautiful complexity that takes place in that conversation. We describe it as the Trinity. We experience it as the reality of God the Father, Jesus the Son, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And at this moment... Here, Jesus tells them that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that they're going to experience a cleansing. They're going to experience a rebirth. And they're going to experience a new reality. That is what the word baptism that we find in Scripture points to. Whether that means the experience that we have at water baptism when we choose to go public with our faith and share with others that we've chosen to follow Jesus and to follow his example and participate in what he calls the kingdom of God, in that moment, we experience cleansing, rebirth, and a new reality. And the same thing is here as he says these words, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're going to have a cleansing, a rebirth and a new reality given through them through this overwhelming experience of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to hear that, an overwhelming experience. Sometimes we hear the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, it sounds kind of odd to our ears, and it would have sounded equally very odd to them. Because the idea of being baptized of being washed, what the word means, being placed and immersed in water, overwhelmed by the water, and then coming out of that water into this incredible new reality. That's what they hear Jesus saying to them. You will experience an overflow of the Holy Spirit, an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit, baptized, dipped in, dropped into, washed by, overwhelmed by, so that nothing else can you can see is present around you, coming and being lifted out of that experience into a new reality. Man, that just sounds cool to talk about, doesn't it? And that kind of gets me excited about where this is going and what happens next and what takes place. Now, here's what's fascinating about this. As we look at the scriptures, we see that the Holy Spirit, what the Old Testament and the Hebrew would call the Ruach or the breath of God, was active from the very beginning. 
So it's easy when we get to a place like this, we see the Holy Spirit, we have this tendency to think, okay, so this is a new thing that has come into the world. This is a new present reality. No, in this way, maybe a little bit different is we're going to see, but not a new thing. The Trinity was, is, and has always been and always will be. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit is God three in one. We find that in the creed, which is so critical for us to understand. Because what's a concept that is hard to understand, it's a concept that helps us have a good understanding of what it means to believe in who this God is. And it is not just about God. We're not talking, we talk about the Trinity, and for our kids today, I'm going to give you a word that you can use. This is like a $5 word. Use this in class, your, your teachers are going to be like, Wow. We're not just talking about an ontological reality of God, okay? This is not just about who God is. We talk about the Trinity. We talk about what God does. Not just who God is. Not just just an understanding of, okay, now I know who God is. No, 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 no. Through the Trinity, you experience what God does. Now, that's kind of cool to think about. So we experience God. Now, if you go back and we look at the Old Testament, we we go back and we look and we see, okay, so how did people experience God? There's a few different ways to experience God, what sometimes, again, they would refer to as the ruah or the breath of God. The breath of God shows up at creation. The breath of God hovering over the waters. The breath of God being breathed into man. So as the writers of the Old Testament talked about the experience of humanity had with God, they even thought about the very breath that they took, the very breath that you and I take, they experience the presence of God. It reminds us in so many ways of our connection to the creation of God in this world, this here and now. We breathe in breath of God. Artists prophets, judges, leaders, all of these people would experience the breath and presence of God in their lives throughout the Old Testament. We read these stories in the Hebrew scriptures. We read about these people who were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you find an artist in the Hebrew scriptures, you find the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you find someone leading in an incredible way in the Hebrew scriptures, any of those stories, you find the Holy Spirit present in that moment. When you find judges, when you find prophets who are speaking for God, you find the Holy Spirit. And this experience was to specific people at specific times. So now don't don't, don't miss this because this is so critical. It's so important for us. And this is what I was looking at today as I was preparing and thinking about this all week was specific people. So you find those stories. And do you ever look in the Hebrew scriptures and you're kind of amazed by these people? You read their stories and you're like, you're like, wow, that is amazing. It's incredible. Like, how did that happen? How, how did that take place? And you just read around the story and you'll find the, the Holy Spirit was present in that moment, speaking to those and working through those people in particular moments at particular times. So we come to this story. And in this story, everything is about to change. Jesus is this pivot point, his life and his death and his resurrection. 
as he talked about the kingdom of God, as he talked about what is to come. He becomes this pivot point where everything changes so dramatically. And here, we see another dramatic shift. From particular people experiencing God, or experiencing the Holy Spirit in particular ways, to something that happens to the disciples. So let's keep reading. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are here speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, or to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Which is truthfully, as I've said so many times, and I, I just told a couple of my friends, one of the greatest questions that you can ever ask in Scripture. What does this mean? So when you find a place and you look at something and you're reading it, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. This is really weird. Or this sounds really bizarre. This doesn't seem to fit. Go, what does it mean? And if you ask that question, and this is not just for our adults, this is for our kids in this room, I don't care how old you are, the best question that I can teach you as your pastor is to ask the question, what does this mean? And then start yourself on a journey. Ask mom and dad, and if they say, I don't know, ask your grandma and grandpa. And if they don't know, ask your pastor. And he might go, I don't know. And what I might tell you is, figure it out. Search it. Seek to understand it. What does it mean? So what does it mean? Now, here, listen, listen. The disciples knew that this was coming, okay? They knew this moment was coming. Jesus had told them, hang out, wait in Jerusalem. Something crazy is about to happen. But the others present there, the ones asking, what does this mean? They had no idea what was happening. And think about that. They wanted to know what it means when a violent wind blows through a room. What would it mean if the doors of this place went? Somebody would go, what is happening? That's exactly what the question was. What happens when all of a sudden fire starts to wander around the room? Well, I would call 911. They didn't have 911. They had, what does this mean? Right? What happens when unexpectedly all of a sudden all the people in the room start to speak in different languages that they don't supposedly know to begin with? You would go, what are they saying? And then you would go, what does this mean? What does it mean? And here's a cool thing we're going to find out by going back to verse 1. So, kids, when you ask mom and dad and they say, I don't know, you say, why don't you guys follow me to verse 1 and I'll show you. And they'll go, okay. And you'll show them how to study the Bible. 
at least how to begin. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And the first question that you ask yourself is, what in the world is the day of Pentecost, right? If you don't know what it is, ask the question, right? So that's what I asked myself. Now, I know because I've studied the Bible what the day of Pentecost is, but when I looked at this, the first thought I had was, we should probably talk about the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? Now, the day of Pentecost was a celebration that took place 50 days after Passover. Now, you would have figured that out because you know what penta means. You know it means 50 because you're smart. You would have said it's 50 days after something. You would have counted backwards. You realized it's 50 days after Passover. The reason, so now we're starting to, we're going to unwrap this thing. The reason the disciples and all these people were gathered together was because they were in the midst of the celebration. They were celebrating Pentecost. Now, it's Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples when he told them that the wine and the bread represented his body right before he then washed their feet. And then 50 days after that celebration, they come to the day of Pentecost, and they're celebrating together again. And once again, Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, reignites and reinvigorates it helps them see something in a little bit different way in that moment. So now we've got to back up even further. What in the world do Passover and Pentecost have to do with any of this? Why do they continue to celebrate, and why does it matter for us today? So let's back up even further. Let's go to the story of Passover in the book of Exodus. It's the final moment that leads to the liberation of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. That's what Passover is. And as the story continued, their freedom was given as they then crossed the Red Sea. They began their journey. And 40 days later, they arrived at Mount Sinai. And then for 10 days, they waited. Then Moses, 50 days after their escape and liberation from Egypt, was given the Ten Commandments. So to make this clear, let's talk through it. Let's make sure everybody, and if, you, if you're like, I didn't follow, raise your hand. That's fine. It's totally fine. Interrupt, okay? So we have Passover. And we have the Jewish people in that final moment after we get, we get, we get the Pharaoh going, okay, I'm sick of you people. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of the plagues. I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm tired of all of this. You're destroying my world. Just, I can't do it anymore. But he gets, he gets even more vicious. The Passover happens. And he says, you're out. Go. We're done. You're free. So they celebrate this Passover moment together. Then they are freed. And then a motley crew of people, these slaves and a bunch of other people come together. They begin to trek across the desert to the promised land. And for 40 days from that moment of Passover, they travel the, promise, or travel the desert going to the promised land. They come to this mountain. They hang out for 10 days for Moses to go up and receive the Ten Commandments. 50 days later. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left 
Egypt. On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, as we continue on in the story, we often focus then on the Ten Commandments, and we get caught up on just the Ten Commandments. But there's something that I want us to see today, something else that I want to focus on today. Fifty days after they were freed from slavery in Egypt, this people we're given a new name. And we see it in verse 6. It says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, You will be for me. So now, now, look, this is a huge moment in Scripture. This is a huge moment. This is the Ten Commandments. We love the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody's like, Oh, yeah, I want to talk all about it. Don't miss this stuff. Don't, don't, don't miss what's going on here because this is so critical for us to understand what happens later on to the disciples. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy means separate. Kids in the room, what does holy mean? Separate. That doesn't mean you walk around and go, my room is a holy room. You do not enter. But it just means that holy, separate, different, called out for a specific purpose. And a priest was someone who was given the responsibility to share the story of God with the world. That's all a priest is. A priest is someone who shares the story of God with the world. But there are some details from this event that took place that I also want us to see today. Listen to this. In Exodus 19, 16, we'll go a little further. On the morning of the third day, listen to this, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. And they probably said, what does this mean? What is going on? What is happening? What, because that's what you do when there's thunder and lightning, a thick cloud and a huge trumpet blast. You go, what does this mean? And everybody in the tr- camp trembled. Now listen, there was a journey to this moment. There was a time of waiting for this moment, right? And then an experience that was so overwhelming that how did they describe it? With thunder, lightning, and trumpets. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered them. Now, this is so cool. The word thunder here, the word thunder in Hebrew, is much closer to something like this, thundering voices. We were just talking to a friend last night, and he said that his, probably about, I think he was probably about eight years old, He said, have you ever heard the story about my son when he jumped out the window of his bedroom? And I was like, I have not heard that story, but that is a story I want to hear. 
I'm not going to go too long because I'm already going late, but here's what he did. Apparently, it was the middle of the night. It was at 2 a.m. They got a phone call from a neighbor, and she says, now, Steve, don't freak out. Your son is in our house. He says, what do you mean my son is in your house? He goes, your son is in my house. Steve, calm down. Your son is at my house. He said he jumped out his window. He did what now? So he gets up out of bed. He runs to the, to the window. He sees that the screen is bashed open. And his son is gone. So he runs out of the house. He flies out of his wife's like, what are you doing? He goes, our son jumped out the window. And he runs over to the neighbor's house. And his, why is Siri talking to me? I don't want you to talk to me about. So he runs over to the house. And you're not doing that again. He runs over to the house. He sees his son sitting there. He's got his pillow. He goes, what did you do? He goes, well, dad, I heard a sound. He said, I was scared. So I jumped out the window. What do you mean he jumped out the window? He goes, I got to be kicked out the window. And he said, why do you have your pillow? He goes, well, what else was I going to land on? <laughs> Boss. That kid is a... And he said at that moment, he looked at him, he goes, I'm not mad. You are a man. Like that, it... he said, he kicked out the screen. He dropped the pillow. He said, I didn't want to drop too far. So I hung from the window. And then he dropped. Yeah, well, uh, cover the ears. We're not kids. This is not a story of something you should do. Drops down on the pillow. Now, why? Because he heard what sounded like a voice. You know what it was? It was the wind. The wind was blowing through the house, and it caused his door to shake. He thought somebody was in the house, and he heard these voices, and he was scared. And he went to go get help. He heard what sounded like thundering voices. And so this is what they talk about in the Hebrew. They use these words, thundering voices. Voices and fire describe this event that took place on Mount Sinai, where these people, now don't miss this part, were given a calling to tell the story of God to the world. Now, in between the Passover, the celebration of freedom from slavery in Egypt, and Pentecost, the birth of this new people, was a festival called the Feast of the First Fruits. And this feast took place Follow me. Three days after Passover, and it represented the sign of life that came after the seed had been buried in the ground. Now, rabbis and scholars debated, studied, poured over Hebrew text to create this 50-day timeline of Passover, Feast of the first fruits. three days later, 40 days of journey and 10 days of waiting to the moment that they would celebrate Pentecost. And I hope that this is starting to connect, but if it's not starting to connect, let's just, let's just open up the parallel right now. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He was arrested. He was executed. He was buried. And then three days in the tomb, on the Feast of First Fruits, he rose from the dead. For 40 days, the resurrected Jesus journeyed with his disciples until the ascension that we talked about a couple weeks ago, which we looked at last week. And then for 10 days, they gathered and they waited in a room to celebrate Pentecost. A moment described just like Mount Sinai, thunder and fire. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then look what it says in verse 4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And this verse sits at the center of the story. It tells us the people weren't as perplexed by the thunder. They weren't as perplexed by the fire. 
what they were perplexed by was these disciples speaking in these languages. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears in our own native language? And then they begin to list all the places they're from. We're supposed to go, that's the whole known world. That's what they would have read. And then they ask, amazed and perplexed, well, what does this mean? What a great question. What does this mean? What does it mean that we find this incredible parallel between the experience of the people in Exodus and the experience of the disciples of Jesus? What does it mean that amid all of that, they were given the ability to speak languages from people from all over the the known world? And what does it mean that all of this is wrapped up in the concept of being overwhelmed and filled with the Holy Spirit? We're given a few answers to this. Just a few verses later, by a follower of Jesus named Peter, he decides that he knows. He knows what's up. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not as not drunk as you suppose, which by the way, that's what they thought was going on. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The disciples followed Jesus. They listened to his teaching. They experienced his death and his resurrection, and then they waited for this moment. And at this moment, this is what I want us to hear. They were given their mission to share the story of Jesus with the world. This is why they were able to speak in all these languages. Because in that moment, they were told, you are a holy people. You are priests. You are to share the story of God's love with who? With everyone. With everyone. And then he says this, and this is what's so cool. He says, the promise is for you. In this room. In that room, right there, in that place. And then he says, and your children. And then he says, and for all who are far off, you and me. Peter is talking about you and me. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Let me wrap it up. At this moment, this is what I want us to see. Don't miss this. At this moment, the Holy Spirit was understood to no longer be experienced by only specific people at specific times for specific tasks, but for all followers of Jesus. For the early church. 
and for those who sit in this room today. (laughs) Mothers and sons, grandparents and grandmothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, children, all. (laughs) That moment in the experience of these disciples, we see everyday people with questions and fear and brokenness restored and given a hope, empowered to go out and tell the entire world the good news of Jesus. How cool is that? Every single one of us. I wrote this down in my notes as I was thinking about this and I was trying to say how, how we wrap all this up. Here's what I thought. As I think about the way that we have waited these last two years, I look at this moment here as our moment to not just sit in this room. If we just sit in this room, don't we just miss the whole point? Go out and be the church but we don't go on our own. We go empowered by the unifying, life-giving experience of the Holy Spirit. So wrap it all up. What does this have to do with the Apostles' Creed? Well, as we read the Creed this morning together, what did we read? We read, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I don't just believe in something about the Holy Spirit. I believe in what the Holy Spirit is does. It is not just enough to believe what, who God is, but believing what God does. And I believe in the Holy Spirit because we believe through the Holy Spirit that we have been called to be a holy people. We believe that we have been called to be a royal priesthood. We believe that as we experience the goodness of God, we go and share it with our world and that we have been given a call and a mandate and a lesson to learn to go and share the good news with everyone. And that's exactly what they did. And over the course of the summer, we're gonna learn and we're gonna follow their story and we're gonna see what these people empowered by the Holy Spirit did because... The Holy Spirit worked through their lives. And that promise is not just for them, it's for you and me. So I don't have to just look and see what the Holy Spirit did. Guess what I get to see? I get to see what the Holy Spirit's gonna do through you and through you and through you and through you and through these children and through this church. That's what it means when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this moment here in this space, in this time. And we come to these moments not just to come, but with anticipation, with expectation, realizing that we experience you that your Holy Spirit unites and binds us together and most importantly sets us on mission to share the good news of Jesus with this world. God, I don't know what that looks like today to speak in the languages of those around us. Maybe in some ways it means the literal languages we find. Maybe it means speaking in the cultural languages of people. Maybe it means loving people with the language of love. 
But God, train us, teach us, empower us to go and speak your good news into this world. Be the people that you have called us to be. Be the church that you have called us to be. Help us to teach each other. Help us to teach our kids to be people who follow Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living out the love of our Heavenly Father in this world. It's your name that we pray today. Amen.